Hey everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the 1001 Films Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Gardner, and today uh, is a very special episode about the state of cinema this past year, 2023, and my top 10 movies of the year, and I hope you guys like it, so stay with me right after the break. All right, so this year uh, has kind of been up and down a little bit as far as um, success of certain films. Um, it seems like the big blockbuster movies have kind of uh, are kind of going by the wayside. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, they'll always be around. I mean, everyone's going to want to go see a summer blockbuster. I don't think that's ever going to change. But I think audiences' tastes have changed a little bit in the sense that they're no longer willing to accept what is mediocre. Um, you know, I think this is the first year in like a decade that uh, Disney did not put out a movie that made a billion dollars at the box office. That includes Marvel, Pixar, Star Wars, you know, Indiana Jones. Not a single one of those movies made a billion dollars at the box office. And, you know, five, six years ago, you slap a, lo a Marvel logo on a movie, it's instant billion dollars at least. Um, and I think there's a lot of aspects that go into that. Um, but I think the main one is that the uh, Marvel movies in particular are very mediocre. Um, and I think that with the advent of Disney+, Plus. Um, and with all of the TV shows, kind of streaming shows that they're doing, uh, that, well, not just Marvel, but Star Wars and everything that, you know, that Disney is putting on Disney plus they figured, <clears throat> you know, I can, I can see in the, in the boardroom, the meetings, uh, of these big executives and they're saying, well, uh, audiences love Marvel. So let's give them as much Marvel as possible. Let's give them as much Star Wars as possible, you know, and we'll just be printing money. We'll just be raking in the cash because audiences love this stuff. And as long as we keep putting that, putting it out, they're going to keep going to see it and they're going to keep loving it and we're going to keep making money. But what has happened, I think, is that, um, they have kind of diluted their brands. Um, you know, a Star Wars film or a Marvel film used to be an event. And in many ways, they still are. Um, you know, there's hardcore Marvel fans out there that still get super excited about, you know, the new superhero movie. You know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. For me, a Star Wars movie is like, uh, it's it's a life a li it should feel like a once in a lifetime experience when i was 9 years old and i went to go see um <clears throat> when i went to go see uh the phantom menace at the artcraft theater in franklin indiana i remember the line around the block to get in to see that movie um same thing with um <clears throat> the Force Awakens, I think it was in 2015. Uh, audiences were excited because they had been, there had been no Star Wars for so long in between those, you know, those two movies. 
And every time I went to go see a Star Wars movie, it's been, um, it's, it's felt like an event because a movie would come out and it'd be like two, three years with no new Star Wars stuff. And then a new, and then the next episode would come out. Same thing with Marvel, you know, um, a Marvel movie would come out and then like a year or two later, the next one would come out. Um, I think 2008, they started off and they would do two movies a year. So it was at least six months in between each Marvel movie. And I think the past couple years, each Marvel movie has, it's been, they've been putting out four movies a year and two, three TV shows a year. So it's just like, no matter where you're at, anytime you could, you know, you could watch uh, a Marvel movie, like every month out of the year, you go to the theater, there's a Marvel movie that you could go see. And I think they just oversaturated the market uh, with, uh, with content. And then the movie started to feel like you needed to do homework to be able to go see them and understand them, you know, which kind of goes against um, one of the core tenets of Marvel comics and um, Stan Lee, the creator of Marvel comics. One of his famous sayings is that every comic book is someone's first comic book. So you need to tell a self-contained entertaining story in each issue. So that um, that the reader can feel a sense of completion, that they didn't waste their time, but that they want to know more. They want to go back before and they want to continue on after so that they can get the full context of the story. But that each issue, since it, w it was everyone's, it, every issue could be someone's first issue and needed to be self-contained and needed to be a complete story that satisfied the reader. And that is not how Marvel movies work today. Um, you gotta watch uh, three or four TV shows. You gotta watch 20 movies just to know what the heck is going on in Miss Marvel or whatever, Ant-Man. Ant you know, they've gotten so deep into their own BS that they're, you know, making movies about these obscure characters that general audiences don't care about. And they haven't taken the time in the previous movies to let general audiences get to know them and to start to care about them. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's almost like the Marvel movies, the movies themselves are episodes of a TV show. So instead of feeling satisfied and feeling, um, like they spent their time well, um, they they feel let down uh and these you know marvel fans and comic book nerds are going to go see every marvel movie anyway what makes a, a marvel film make a million or make a billion dollars is that you get repeat viewers and you get average moviegoers to go see it you get word of mouth from the comic book book nerds out to their non-comic book nerd friends and they say this movie's amazing you gotta go see it and then they go see it and then they tell their friends um who aren't really big you know marvel fans but it's a good movie just general movie going fans need to go see these movies if they're gonna make a billion dollars and i think um because all of the 
the Marvel films, and not not even just Marvel and Star Wars. Indiana Jones crashed and burned at the box office. Um, you know, Fast X, the new Fast and Furious movie that you know uh, barely broke even, I think, in worldwide box office. Um, and the other thing that is really hindering these movies from being quote unquote successful and from being profitable for the studios is because the budgets are completely out of control. I think Indiana Jones cost $375 million to make $375 million for a fourth movie in a franchise that started in the eighties. Like, what are you doing? You know, like it's just completely bonkers that you could spend that much money on a movie. Uh, and think that it could be profitable. I mean, if you make the ge- the general rule of thumb is that two and a half times you have to make uh, two and a half times the budget uh, to be able for a movie to break even. Because you know, um, just for easy math purposes, you say you make a movie for a hundred million dollars. Well, it's got to make two fifty in the box office for it to become profitable. Because um, you know, the marketing budget uh, is not included in the production budget. So $100 million for the production budget. And then these huge movies have like, you know, $100, $150 million, almost as much as um, what the movie costs to make, they spend on marketing. So you just double the budget, it's $100 million, that's $200 million for a movie that you're in the hole that's not even in the theaters yet. That's not, you know, people can't even see. And then um, not all of the money that is made at the box office goes back to the studio. Um, as I can get really, uh, I can re- get really deep in the weeds with this, but in general, uh, a movie takes home, at least domestically, sixty percent of the box office. So, hundred million dollar movie, uh, hundred million dollar budget—that's two hundred million dollars. Um, say it makes a hundred million dollars opening weekend studio only gets 60 million dollars worth of that so now you're in the hole uh 240 uh if my math is right so so for it to be profitable a hundred million dollar movie has to make about 200 to 250 million dollars for it to even break even at the box office um, so if you take Indiana Jones that has almost a $400 million budget, you make a billion dollars. You're still like, it's not, you're still not making that much money for the studios. Even if that film makes a billion dollars, which it did not, I don't even think it made its production budget back at, um, you know, at the box office. So that Indiana Jones movie lost Disney hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, Fast X lost hundreds of millions of dollars. The only one that was really kind of semi-profitable this year was Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which I think made like eight seventy-five dollars uh, at the box office. I think that was Disney's biggest earner this year. Um, but that being said, that was the best made, I think, the most entertaining of all of these movies that I've been talking about. And I think it goes back to what I said earlier, that um, general movie-going audiences aren't going to settle for mediocrity in these 
um, big budget films anymore. They want something with more depth. They want something with more substance, uh, something that isn't just, um, you know, flashy light bulbs and loud explosions, you know. And I think because those movies are not successful, have not been successful this year, and because their budgets have been out of control, I think uh, that to me says that the audience wants more. The audience uh, is is fed up with uh, having to do homework before going to see a movie. They're fed up with um, having, you know, just the same story, similar characters, just uh, repackaged with a different um, with different costumes. Um, so I think that is. Hopefully, studios recognize that, and hopefully, they will adjust accordingly, and hopefully, we will have more movies like Godzilla Minus One, which, um, reportedly, I know it's a Japanese Japanese film, and their laws about overtime pay over there are almost non-existent, Uh, but the budget for that movie was $15 American dollars, fifteen one five million American dollars, um, and it looks like it could have been made for for two hundred fifty. It looks better than some of the Marvel movies that came out this year. Um, the special effects and you know the character development in that film, but I'll get into that. It's on my list. Spoiler alert: It's on my list uh, and my top ten. Um, but just that as an example. Um, you know, you can make good movies based on characters and their emotions and their struggles as people uh, and make lots of money. And you can put that in a superhero movie. It doesn't have to be, you know, like a depressing World War II drama. You know, that uh, those kinds of movies are not the only ones that are allowed to have well-written characters and interesting storylines. Um But with that being said, I'm going to take a little break and then I'm going to get into my top 10 of the year and uh, the honorable mentions. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back. Um, So I saw more movies this year than I have in a very long time. I just counted and I saw 58 movies this year. I definitely went to the movies more than 58 times because I saw Spider-Man like eight times. Um, and I just saw the Iron Claw tonight, uh, which I had already seen. So uh, there were multiple movies that I saw multiple times in theaters. Um, but in total, I saw 58 movies this year. Um, and uh, there's a couple movies or 58 movies that came out this year I saw in theaters. There's a couple movies that I wanted to mention up top that I thought were very interesting and very good uh, movie-going experiences. Um, I know I did a review of it earlier a few months ago, but I saw the Korean film Old Boy in theaters. I had seen it several times before, but I had never seen it on the big screen. Uh, so that was a very cool experience to see it on the big screen with other fans. And then they did a, a Q and a with the director afterwards. Um, 
the director wasn't in the theater. It was just like a filmed Q&A that they showed after the movie was over. Um, but I talk about all of that in my review that I did a couple months ago. So if you want to know my full thoughts on Old Boy as a film in general, just um, go back and check out that episode. And another film that I had uh, never seen that I saw for the first time on the big screen in AMC Prime with the uh, laser projection and the surround sound that literally shakes the ground underneath your feet. Uh, That movie was Die Hard. I had never seen Die Hard in its entirety before, um, and I saw it just a couple weeks ago, and it was a fantastic experience. Um, I, you know, it's a legendary action film. Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, I mean... You know, it's uh, the gold standard when it comes to action movies. Um, And I had always heard that from other people, from other film pundits, and just from friends and family. I always said that Die Hard is one of the best movies ever made. And for whatever reason, you know, every film fan has gaps in his uh, film viewing filmography, I guess you could say. And that was one of the gaps. and I have to say that it was one of the best movie-going experiences I have ever had. Um, not just because of the premium screening with the surround sound and the laser projection and the reclining seats and all of that, but just because it's a a great movie, a fantastic movie, um, that I, um, I was going to say, I'm sorry to say that I had never seen before this year, but... I'm glad the first time I got to see it in its entirety was on the big screen, the way it was meant to be seen. Um, It's just so much fun, and it was uh, just such a throwback to, um, you know, I talked earlier about movies with substance. Uh, This is a a big-budget movie that has substance, that has interesting characters that is and that is overall is just fun and exciting and um i don't know if you're like me and you had never seen it um i don't think it's in theaters anymore you know but if you haven't seen it i would recommend waiting until next year until they put it in you know theaters for christmas again because that's what i did and i'll probably go see it again next year uh, it's, you know, this will probably be a yearly tradition of me going to see Die Hard in, a, in the theater every Christmas. Um, because it is a Christmas movie, if you didn't know. Um, but anyway, those two movies, Die Hard and Old Boy, are movies that uh, were theater experiences that I thought worth mentioning. Um, but now on to uh, my top ten list for the year. Uh, I will say, uh, with a little caveat, there are some movies that I have not seen yet. Um, I have not seen Napoleon, Ferrari, The Killer, The Color Purple, American Fiction, All of Us Strangers, or Zone of Interest. I have not seen those movies yet. Um, I'm sure at least, uh, American Fiction, Zone of Interest, Color Purple, I'm sure all of those will get nominated for Oscars. 
because they've been getting uh, a lot of awards attention in the guilds and in the other uh, critics awards circles. So um, I'm sure I'll get around to them, but as of the recording of this episode, I have not yet seen them. Uh, but honestly, I really like my, um, I really like my top 10 list the way it is. So I don't think it would make that much of a difference having seen these movies. Um, I don't think any of them would top the, or would, uh, crack the top 10. All right. So, uh, I have five honorable mentions and some of these were really hard cuts because all five of these movies are very good. I really enjoyed them, but there's just, there was just a lot of good movies, uh, for me that I liked this year that, um, made it into my top 10. So the five honorable mentions are the creator Thanksgiving Ninja Turtles, uh, the animated movie, um, Barbie and air air is the one that was the toughest cut. It came out in March. Um, I think it deserves to get recognition from uh, for some something, some kind of award. It's a, it's a it's a different kind of sports movie. It's about Michael Jordan and how he kind of developed, uh, or how Nike kind of developed a shoe for him for Michael Jordan and kind of the story behind that. And Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon, I mean, whenever they get together and make a movie, you know, the chemistry is natural because they've been best friends for decades. Uh, But that was the toughest cut. Uh, That would definitely be my number 11. Ninja Turtles was good, but, um, you know, coming up, there's another animated movie uh, on my list that uh, I thought was much better. Barbie was also good. I also enjoyed it. Um, you know, the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon, I think will be talked about, uh, forever, uh, in terms of film history. It was so unique and so kind of like, uh, grassroots kind of word of mouth that kind of created that whole, uh, Barbenheimer social media phenomenon. Um, I think it was, it was like, the perfect storm, you know, like these two things coming together and people just kind of ran with it. Um, but I think it was the lesser of the, of the two films. So that's why it's not on my top 10 Thanksgiving, um, horror film by, uh, Eli, Eli Roth. Uh, I like, um, holiday themed horror movies. Um, this is the only one that I can think of that is based around Thanksgiving. And, you know, it's a standard horror movie. People get killed. Teenagers, you know, surprise twist about the killer. Um, it's pretty straightforward. But I, I had a lot of fun watching it. It was interesting. One of my favorite comedians, Tim Dillon, has a bit part in it. So uh, I was glad to see him in that and see him, you know, do well and kind of ham it up a little bit. Uh, that was a lot of fun. So, um, Thanksgiving, I think is going to be a yearly, uh, yearly tradition at Halloween and at Thanksgiving. And then the last one is the creator. Um, I really loved the trailer 
the trailer with the Aerosmith song Dream On. Uh, this this movie might have to go on the list of my movies that the trailer is better than the movie. Uh, you know, trailers in and of themselves are an art form, I think. And the creator trailer was so fantastic. It gave me chills every time I saw it come up on the big screen. Um, but the movie was kind of derivative, I think. Um, it was pretty s- standard. You know, it gave me this this promise of like uh, AI meets uh, Apocalypse Now was kind of what was sold to me in um, in the trailer, and I thought that's a very interesting combination. Um, and the effects are fantastic, but the story is kind of lackluster. The the I don't know. The characters are very one dimensional, and I didn't really connect with them in any kind of way. Um, but it made it on to my honorable mentions, at least. Um, so I thought it was okay. Not great. Uh, which is probably why it's number five on my honorable mentions. But uh, without further ado, I'm going to count down from 10 to 1 my top 10 movies of 2023. And number 10 is the Nicolas Cage film Dream Scenario. Um, I will see anything that Nicolas Cage is in. He's kind of been on a roll this year, or the past couple years. I think last year or the year before, he was in Pig, uh, where he played a guy whose best friend was a truffle pig, uh, and he was a former chef. And I, you know, sign me up. Anything weird, anything wacky, throw Nicolas Cage in it, take my money. You know, and Dream Scenario is one of those movies. It's an A24 film. Um, Nicholas Cage plays kind of a, an average, um, college professor that is kind of like living in obscurity, even though he wants to be famous. And for whatever reason, he starts showing up in people's dreams. People start dreaming about him for whatever reason. Uh, and it's never really explained. It's never really talked about but you know a movie about people that dream about Nicolas Cage I'm all over that um I've read some reviews and stuff about how uh this this movie is about cancel culture and how people make assumptions about other people based on what they think someone acts like based on their social media or public persona which may or may not necessarily be true uh I think that kind of falls flat a little bit that narrative um I just think it's a weird, um, f- funny yet heartbreaking kind of uh, dark comedy. Uh, it's very original, very unique, and I think Hollywood should make more movies like this. Weird, unique, original movies with a charismatic actor like Nicolas Cage, and I'll be all over that every time. All right, number nine. Uh, I kind of mentioned this one earlier. Um, Godzilla minus one. Uh, in my opinion, this is the best Godzilla film. Um, it was uh, made in Japan. Uh, it's all in Japanese, subtitled. Uh, but I don't have a problem with that. I know some people have, you know, don't want to watch movies that are sub that are subtitled for whatever dumb reason. But uh, Godzilla minus one 
is a fantastic movie. Um, you know, you get everything you want out of a Godzilla movie, him stomping on people, crashing buildings down, you know, coming up out of the ocean and, you know, destroying boats. You get all of that, you know, all that classic Godzilla movie stuff that everyone loves. Uh, but really what puts this movie over the edge is, uh, the human characters. Um, they're interesting. They're, uh, they, they have you know, depth and dimension to them and to their relationships and to their sense of duty to their country. It's a very patriotic film, um, which is interesting because uh, it's about Japan and World War, post-World War II, um, which, you know, you can have complicated feelings about that, about, you know, uh, what Japan did in World War II to Americans and to Chinese and Koreans and all of that. Uh, but they don't really go into that in this movie. They just, it's really more about a soldier's duty to his country and a soldier's duty to the men that he's supposed to uh, serve with and to protect. And they really go into, they really go deep into PTSD, which I was very surprised by. Um, and I thought uh, that angle was something that was just sitting there for the taking that for whatever reason, no other Godzilla movie had ever explored. Uh, but I think it's, you know, it was um, a much needed refresher uh, in this franchise as opposed to the American Godzilla movies, which are just, like I said before, big blockbusters with human characters that I don't care about you know, whether they get blasted by like, you know, blue flames or stomped on or whatever, like, I don't care. Just show me the, the big lizard knocking over buildings. You know, that's what, uh, most of the American Godzilla movies are about. Uh, but this one I think was very good. I think it might still be in theaters. I know it had a uh, kind of a limited run. Uh, but if it still is, it's meant to be seen on the big screen. The score is fantastic you know, the Godzilla roars and the stomps and the, you know, the fire breathing and, um, all of that is so much better with, uh, a big screen surround sound speakers. It'll, you know, it'll blow your eardrums out, but you'll love every second of it while it's doing it. All right. My number eight film is poor things. Uh, speaking of weird and original films, uh, Poor Things uh, is up there with one of the weirdest and craziest movies I have ever seen. Uh, stars um, Emma Stone, uh, Oscar winner for La La Land. It's got Willem Dafoe, but I think the standout of the movie is Mark Ruffalo. Um, he made me laugh so hard. And he does some ridiculous things, and he's just a despicable person. His character is just a despicable person. But he just made me laugh so hard in some moments of this movie. Um, he uh, is definitely going to get nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and I would not be surprised if he won over who I think is the front runner right now, Robert Downey Jr. Um, so look out, RDJ. Mark Ruffalo is coming for you. Anyway, but um, 
Emma Stone's performance in this film is is fearless. Um, she does not hold back. She the what this role required of her mentally and physically, I'm sure, was very taxing. Um, but she is. I think she's the front runner for best actress. And if she won, I think she deserves it. Um, honestly, I think she's a lock. I don't think she has given a performance better in her career. Even when she won for La La Land, I think this one is, is, um, it's much more out there and it's much more, um, kind of, it's very strange. This movie is very strange. It's uh, directed by uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. He did The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. He did, I think he's Greek. He did some uh, some films in Greece. Dogtooth, I know he did. Uh, the Favorite, a few years ago, he made. Uh, and all of his movies have are very strange, but they create... He has a way of creating uh worlds that are close to the real world but are definitely not um it's like he sees the world through this weird lens uh and he puts his vision of the world on screen and for whatever reason i just accept that that's how he sees the world and that's how this movie's going to play out uh all of his films are like that but i think poor things is um definitely like that it's a very heightened hyper stylized version of the real world um but uh poor things number eight on my list definitely very good uh my number seven is anatomy of a fall uh this is a french film um and it's like the title suggests it's about uh, a guy falls quote-unquote falls or gets pushed off a roof and it's about the trial and the investigation about trying to figure out what happened to this guy um it's a courtroom drama which i really enjoyed uh i love courtroom dramas but it's in french um and they're speaking really fast especially the prosecutor he would speak really fast and his subtitles would go by really fast um, but the way that they, uh, the, I don't know, just the way that it was filmed and the way that they kind of explained how, uh, everything happened with this guy, it just kind of like, uh, it just sucked me right in. And, you know, I was speaking earlier about, you know, the Oscar people don't really know what they're doing. The, uh, the kid, I don't have his name in front of me, um, but the kid that plays, uh the dead guy's son gives a fantastic performance and i would definitely also put him in uh the running for best supporting actress or best supporting actor along with mark ruffalo um but he has not been getting the attention that i think he deserves uh for his performance because it um is definitely astounding and his character is the most emotionally stirring of the film. So uh, Anatomy of a Fall, definitely go see it. It's probably going to get nominated for Best Picture, maybe Best Actress, hopefully Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it's a great movie. All right, number six is another horror film uh, from A24 called Talk to Me. Uh, it is a an Australian film 
made by two brothers who are YouTubers. Uh, and they wrote this movie and they shopped it around Hollywood and they were able to sell the script and they were, you know, able to direct the movie. Um, and it is very, it's, well, at its core, it's a teen slasher movie or, um, but it, it combines kind of the teen slasher movie with the exorcism possession movie and kind of makes it into like this interesting combination of, um, you know, if you think about a teen slasher movie, there's teenagers doing drugs, doing what they do, you know, and then they end up getting killed by a guy in a mask. Um, but what this movie does is that, uh, the idea is that what if we take a teen slasher movie but the drug of choice of the teenagers is not alcohol or weed or whatever, but possession. Um, they choose to be possessed by these dead spirits uh, for fun. And that is a very unique, very interesting twist on both both subgenres of horror films, the possession film and the teen slasher movie. Um, it is... Uh, you know, I just, I like this film mostly. It's a good movie, but I like this movie mostly because of the story behind it. Because these two brothers, these two Australian brothers, uh, were are YouTube personalities. They're not filmmakers. They didn't go to film school. They didn't, you know, study to do this. It's just something that they wanted to do. And they, you know, uh, put all of their time and efforts into doing it and they, they did it and it, it succeeded, you know, it did gangbusters at the box office. Um, I think the week after it came out, they announced that a 24 announced that they're going to make a sequel. Um, so I just like, I like people that pursue their dreams and succeed. Whatever, you know, whatever it is, I like, um, you know, I'll watch a YouTube video of a guy laying bricks because he does it so well. I like excellence. I like to witness excellence and take part in excellence. Um, and you know, I like to see people not give up on doing something that they want to do, even though it's hard. Um, and I just think the story behind this movie is excellent uh, and very inspiring, but I also think that it's even more so because the movie is actually good and very popular and people did, you know, people loved it and it's, um, you know, like it's a new, a new take on two classic horror subgenres, which I really love. I love horror movies. Um, so it's on, I think all of these movies that I'm going to be talking about, They've been out for a while, so they're probably on Apple or Amazon. You can buy them, but I definitely think Talk to Me is should be up there as one of the ones that you consider at least watching, renting, but um, definitely worth checking out. All right, I'm going to take another break, and then we're going to get into the top five. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. Um, so my number five 
uh, movie of the top 10 of 2023 is a Korean film called Past Lives. Um, it's a romance film, uh, not a romantic comedy. It's straight up, uh, it's a drama, uh, it's a romance. I don't watch a lot of romance movies. You know, that kind of bodice ripper, uh, Fabio kind of stuff. I don't really get into that a lot. Um, but Past Lives... Like I said, it's a Korean film. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't... It's about Koreans. About this Korean couple that met as a kid. And they kind of re, re-meet a couple times throughout their lives. Um, and it's really about the little things that uh, create a relationship. It's the, the little things in the... Um, kind of choices that you make, uh, how those choices can affect your future in ways that you may not have wanted or expected. Um, and um, I think this movie, I think it'll definitely get nominated for... Um, best international film even though i don't it's it's only about 70 percent in korean and then i would say about 25 percent in english uh and then the other five percent i think is uh, chinese uh, because one of the characters spends some time in china for a little while um but it is a very emotional film um it's very um it's it's a, a romance, but not in uh, the traditional sense. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain without giving away spoilers, and I don't like giving away spoilers to these uh, smaller films that people haven't seen, even though it's been out for a while. You know, may come come across it a year or two from now, and and watch it. But um, it's really about like. Uh, how these two people uh, could have been meant for each other, um, but because of the choices that they make and the paths that their lives take, uh, this kind of like childhood, like innocent love um, kind of uh, takes a long time to develop into like real, like emotionally mature, like relationship love. Um, and how the little choices along the way affect how, uh, your life can turn out. Um, it's really a movie about like what could have been. And, um, I guess I kind of just spoiled it right there, but anyway, uh, it's a good movie. Definitely go see it. I cried at the end. Uh, just the ending was so, it was so perfect. Um, it's a a very uh well written script um you know pe- people got to get over the subtitle thing um and you know some people will say that they don't like to watch movies foreign movies because they can't read or keep up with the subtitles i think you just got to get over that because there's literally a whole world out there of film that you could be introduced to that you could enjoy if you just read a little bit 
people, you know, you go to the movies, sometimes you go to the movies because you want to be entertained and you don't want to read, but some of the most entertaining movies out there are not made in America and are, you know, made by people from other countries that have other experiences. And I think you have to, if you really want to get a full kind of uh, immersive experience in what it is to be a film fan, you have to get over the subtitle thing. And um, Past Lives is one of those movies that I think uh, is definitely worth the effort that it is, you know, that goes into reading the subtitles. Uh, so definitely check it out. All right, number four. Um, you know, I think I'm going, you know, I'm flying by the seat of my pants here, but I, I think I'm going to switch it up. Uh, I haven't written down as something different, but I think I'm going to change it. So number four, I'm going to put Oppenheimer. Um, I think this is one of Christopher Nolan's best movies. Um, you know, this kind of goes to what I was talking about before with the state of Hollywood, with the, the major blockbusters. Uh, this movie is a three-hour dramatic uh, historical biopic, uh, and it made over a billion dollars at the box office. And I don't think that's just because of the Barbenheimer thing or because it's a Christopher Nolan movie. I think it's because it's a good film that uh, keeps you uh, entranced for the whole three hours, even though it's just people talking. That's all it is. It's just people talking the whole time, trying to figure this thing out, trying to figure out how to build a bomb. Uh, you know, and about the repercussions of that and the kind of the moral dilemmas that Oppenheimer goes through because of that. Um, and I think the performances are excellent. Um, we're going to get to another movie here pretty soon uh, that I think will be a contender in the um, best actor Oscar race. But I think this is uh, Killian Murphy's best performance um, he's a great actor. He's worked with Christopher Nolan for like eight movies, uh, but he's never been a lead. This is the first time Killian Murphy's been a lead for Christopher Nolan. Um, and I think it's one of the best of his career. I put it uh, probably number one right above his role as Thomas Shelby on the uh, British show Peaky Blinders. Um, I think the, those two performances are going to be what defines his career Peaky Blinders and Oppenheimer uh, even though he does a lot of great stuff and a lot of other movies um, you know but the fact just the, everything about this movie is fantastic uh, the acting the directing the fact that they used no computer effects in the whole movie it's all in in camera practical effects um, is just astounding to me uh, Christopher Nolan is big on that, you know, doing practical effects. You know, he really flipped that semi-truck over in The Dark Knight. He really uh, made a train, a real train, go down the street. In uh, Inception, you know, he's, he's famous for doing practical effects. Uh, and I think this 
is the the pinnacle of that um that kind of um mindset and i don't know kind of i don't i don't know what you would call it like a uh not a moral but like I don't know. I can't come up with a word for it, but it's like his creed is to do everything practically. Uh, and I think this is a return to form for him after a couple missteps. Uh, Tenant was too high concept and too confusing for audiences to enjoy. Um, Interstellar, I think, was a perfect movie until the fifth dimensional bookcase at the end. That was a little too far fetched. Um, but I think from start to finish, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with this movie. I think it's a nearly perfect film. I think it's one of the front runners for best picture. It's going to get nominated in like 12 categories. You know, take your pick. It's probably going to get nominated for uh, most uh, for most categories at the Oscars, uh, and it deserves them. And I think finally. This is going to be the movie that finally gets Christopher Nolan his uh, Best Director Oscar. Uh, it's been too long. All right, so the film that I had at, uh, I think, yeah. All right, the film that I had at number four that I just kind of on the fly moved up to number three is uh, The Iron Claw. You know, I just did an episode about it. Um, but just the more that I think about, I've seen it twice, like I said, in the review, uh, but the more I think about it, um, the more it sticks with me and the more, uh, it improved on a second viewing. Um, you know, you pick up plants and Easter eggs at the beginning that pay off, uh, throughout the film, uh, just kind of throwaway lines that you think aren't going to mean much really pay off. Uh, in the end or towards the end of the movie and it's just it was so emotionally stirring for me that uh you know I had I had to move it up and even just now I even considered moving it up to number two uh but I'm fighting recency bias because I just saw it again tonight uh so I just moved it up one spot which you know I'm okay with uh, just the one spot, uh, top three of the year. Um, I think when I look back at this year, I'm, I'm going to remember the movies that um, I enjoyed watching the most, uh, that were the most entertaining, and that moved me emotionally. Um, and I hope that this uh, top ten list reflects that, and that uh, definitely is true of the Iron Claw, which is why I moved it up from four to three. Um, you know, I like, uh, this is kind of like a side note, but is related to, uh, the Iron Claw is that I like movies to emotionally manipulate me without me feeling like I'm being emotionally manipulated. Um, uh, that may be confusing, but I'm going to try to explain. Uh, there's nothing worse than an unfunny comedy. Uh, you know, when when you go to see a comedy movie and you can tell that these people are trying to make jokes, but they're just not funny, uh, it makes you angry. 
at least it makes me angry um and there's nothing more condescending than when a movie tries to have this big intense emotional moment that's trying to make you cry and you're like laughing uh or you're like i'm just not buying this at all um that honestly sometimes that makes me angry too like what are you doing like i can see what you're trying to do and i don't like it um but a good movie like the iron claw will just tell a story and um it wants you to feel what the characters are feeling uh and it succeeds in a way that doesn't feel contrived or forced it's earned in the emotional moments in uh the iron claw are earned um and i think that's the difference is that if an emotional moment feels like it's earned like you've brought the audience along on this journey and then you get to this emotional moment if the filmmakers have and the actors and everybody have done their job right then you will be feeling what the characters are feeling you were still the audience was still emotionally manipulated uh you forced them to feel a feeling that they weren't feeling before um but the if you've if the filmmakers have done a good job at least for me uh then I don't care because I'm just in the moment with the characters. I'm sharing a moment with the characters and with everyone else that's in the audience is sharing that emotional experience too. Uh, and, you know, during the both, both showings that I saw the iron claw during the emotional moments, I could tell that I was not the only one crying. You know, I could tell that there were other people in the audience that were experiencing the same emotions that I was experiencing, uh, which were the same emotions that the characters were experiencing. And I think that is the, uh, the, pe the peak of filmmaking. Uh, you know, Roger Ebert said that uh, film is the most important art form ever devised by the human race because it is the most powerful vehicle for empathy uh, that humans can experience. You get for two hours, if you're completely involved in this film, you forget about the bills that you haven't paid, you forget about uh, you know, where you parked your car, you forget about getting fired from work, and you're just completely emotionally involved with the characters. And going along with the journey uh, of the characters. Uh, and I don't think that there's anything else that can do that on this earth better than a good movie. Um, and Iron Claw is one of those movies that makes me forget about going to work tomorrow and makes me forget about how bad I did on a final last week. It makes me forget about you know, everything. Um, and it just makes me feel in the moment. Um, it, it sucks me in and keeps me there and holds my attention. And I think that is a sign of, uh, of a successful film. 
no matter how much that movie makes at the box office, because the Iron Claw is most likely not going to make a lot. Um, but I, th- I would consider the film a success because it did what it was trying to do. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of like a side note on my whole feelings about film in general, uh, kind of interwoven with my, uh, thoughts on the Iron Claw. All right. So, uh, we're down to the top two. Um, number two is The Holdovers, starring Paul Giamatti. Um, this will be in my rotation of Christmas movies until the day I die. This is one of the best movies I have ever seen. Uh, it is Paul Giamatti's best performance, um, of his career, even better than John Adams in that HBO series. You know, Paul Giamatti has done some great work in his career. It, um, he's one of Hollywood's, uh, best character actors, um, working today or ever, you know, I think he's the quintessential character actor. And in this movie, he plays a very interesting character, a very, um, I would say like depressed, reclusive kind of curmudgeon, um, Scrooge like character, you may say, uh, even though he's, um, doesn't have a lot of money, but he kind of has those kind of same like um tendencies of like not caring about the people around him and that kind of thing as Scrooge does um but I think um he's gonna give uh, Killian Murphy a run for his money at the Oscars I think Paul Giamatti could sneak in there and win uh for best actor and honestly uh I would not be surprised if this movie like Coda uh, I think last year or the year before kind of snuck in there and won best picture over all of the other, um, all of the other, uh, favorites that people were talking about. And I say that because of the way the Oscars do their, uh, best picture balloting. So they do ranked choice voting. So you don't just vote for which movie you think should win best picture is that you rank, like I'm doing now, you rank your top 10 movies of the year. And if Holdovers, uh, if it's not number one, but it's consistently number two, number three, number one here and there, if it's consistently at the top of the list, then that movie has a better chance of winning. Um, I might do an episode about how the Oscar voting works, but just very quickly, that's that's basically how it works, is that if uh, a lot of people have a lot of different number one movies of the year, but The Holdovers is consistently number two or number three on everyone's list, then The Holdovers wins Best Picture uh, because it's overall ranked higher than uh, the other movies. And I think The Holdovers has a chance because you know, there's, it's a very, uh, depressing movie at times. Uh, Paul Giamatti is not a very likable character for most of the movie. Uh, but that's part of his, his character arc is that he learns to kind of open up and kind of soften. And by the end, you just feel like this movie at the end, the end of the movie, it's just like a warm hug, uh, from, 
you know, a loving family member wearing a wool sweater in a cold Christmas night and just makes you feel so good. And it just makes you feel like there's hope for humanity still. And it's just, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, and like I said, it's going to be in my Christmas rotation every year until the day I die. It's one, it's one of those movies that, um, I don't think I will ever get tired of that. Uh, I think is going to be seen as a classic in the years to come. All right. Uh, finally at my number one movie of the year, uh, number one movie is Spider-Man across the spider verse, uh, animated movie. You know, I did an episode about it when it came out. Um, this movie, I think, will be seen as a landmark in the history of cinema, uh, especially for animation. The way that it pushes the medium, the way that it uh, intertwines all these different kind of storylines and different characters and uh, makes you feel uh, emotionally connected to them. And, you know, it is a superhero movie and there is superhero action. But what really makes it count is that you care about Miles and Gwen and their relationship to each other and their relationships to their parents. Um, You know, this movie really is a two-hander. It's, uh, you know, it's very much uh, Gwen's movie as much as it is Miles' movie. Um, It's, uh, it is one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. Uh, I can't wait for the third one. You know, that's the only knock I would say on this movie, uh, is that it's kind of half of a story. Uh, it ends on a huge cliffhanger, which I didn't mind because it was such a fantastic movie. I didn't want to want it to stop. Uh, but it stopped in the perfect place. Um, you know, like empire strikes back, like star Wars episode five that could kind of be said to be half a movie as well. It ends on kind of a downer uh, and it ends in the middle of the story. And it's the same thing for Spider-Man this year. Um, You know, it ends on kind of a downer um, and it's not the end of the story. So I'm hoping that the third one uh, will blow me away as much as this one did. I saw this movie more than any other movie uh, in theaters this year, I bought it immediately on iTunes when it, uh, came out. Um, it's, I, I just can't get enough of this movie. It's such a feast for the eyes. There's so much detail in all of the animation that you can watch it a hundred times. And I'm sure you would pick up on something new, um, every time that you watch it. And I, I just can't get enough of this movie. I had the most fun. The characters were the most interesting. And, um, you know, this, if I made a top 10 list of my uh, favorite movies of all time, this would probably be on it. Maybe top 20. Uh, I don't know if I would put it in the top 10 of all time, but it's up there. I, you know, I saw this movie, I think, seven times in the theaters. uh, And I have never wanted to continuously watch a movie more than I have, uh, this one. Uh, I think it's better than the first one. Um, so let's hope that it's not, you know, like the dark Knight, 
where uh, the Dark Knight is the best of the series. Um, so I hope the third one is great. But Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is my number one movie of 2023. So just a quick rundown uh, from 1 to 10. I know this has been a long episode. This is probably going to be my longest episode ever. Um, but just starting again from 1 to 10, I got Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Holdovers, The Iron Claw, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Talk to Me, Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, and Dream Scenario. And then uh, my five honorable mentions are Air, Ninja Turtles, Barbie, Thanksgiving, and The Creator. Um, It's been a great year for movies, at least for me. Uh, You know, uh, hopefully, um, you know, the strikes that happened this year, the writer's strike and the uh, actor strike, hopefully those don't affect too much uh, the movie slate coming up for next year and we'll get uh some quality films next year as well uh there's already movies coming out in 2024 that i want to see that will come out here in the next week or two and i will be doing reviews for those and definitely um when the golden globes happens i will give my thoughts on the winners and then i will probably do a double episode on I'll do my thoughts on the Oscar nominations. And then once the wins are announced, I will do my thoughts on uh, the Oscar winners. Uh, So look forward to both of those and all kinds of reviews and editorials and just general commentary on uh, my favorite art form, uh, movie making. Thank you guys so much for sticking with me. If you stuck with me through this whole episode, I really appreciate it. Um, Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes, and I will catch you next time.